maybe you're right. I would never call myself wise. I know my wife wouldn't. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you came to my house and saw me getting chased by my one-year-old, you probably wouldn't think I was that wise. <laughs> the, the point, I guess, is I thrive on human interaction. Welcome to the Elemental Health Podcast. Welcome back to the Elemental Health Podcast. Uh, I am your host Nick Quinton and I want to welcome you to this uh, fireside chat episode as I'm I'm kind of branding it up uh, which is a conversation with my good friend Chris Pinner. Uh, we kind of back and forth about a number of different topics. Um, key focus in both our minds at the moment is this word resilience and, and I, I think some of the conversation is really focused around that, what it means, how to develop it and, and how we can look forward into uh, 2021 and beyond and to really understand what, what is meaningful and how to how to build uh, emotional physical mental resilience moving forward so um, lots of back and forth and and, and quite a nice interesting chat between the two of us Chris uh, Pinner runs an amazing organization called Inner Fit which uh, is really focused on putting well-being and health at the forefront of of, um, corporations and and organizations he's working with some some really interesting organizations that are actually starting to wake up to this realization that uh corporate well-being and uh, well-being in the workplace is not just uh, a 10 percent support to their gym membership wherever that might be um, there's a lot lot more to it than that if if you want to be a meaningful employer and work for an organization that is you know um, in lockstep with with how um how we need to develop health and all, all the aspects that go with that so um really interesting uh, guy to speak to um lots of chat from me as well so hopefully you guys enjoy this let's jump straight in with chris pinner from inner fit so yeah I, should we just jump into this like semi conversation semi like we know it's going to be posted somewhere yes cool well, Nick, great to be talking with you after so long. Um, no, joking aside, it's actually always a pleasure. Like, literally, I always, always learn something, always think of something interesting, and always just enjoy enjoy chatting to you and have done for the last three years, maybe. Yeah. Around well, that. Chris, it's been awesome um, working with you and, um, you know, continuing your friend. And, and the chats we have are always really interesting. And, and I know you always say that I'm sort of... I'm an energising influencer, but actually I feel that about you as well, so let's get cracking. Oh, right back at you, right back at you. Well, in that, in that case then, I suppose, <clears throat> don't want to get too rigid with asking you questions, but on behalf of lots of people I know who keep asking me stuff about this resilience, energy, health and well-being in general, I suppose that the place to start would just be your perspective as a resilience coach, former paratrooper, paramedic, someone who's been helping on the front line, like what, what does resilience actually mean to you? I've heard it banded around quite a lot recently and I think it's just useful to have that anchor. Like, well, like what do we mean when we talk about resilience? Um, so th- there are lots of different definitions and I think it, it's a very contextual concept. So that's kind of my caveat opening, I guess. Uh, but um, 
simply put, it's ability to su sustain ourselves under pressure. That's the way I think about it. Um, and that fits with every context that I've, I've kind of put resilience into practice or built it or, or kind of like talked about it, whether that be um, as a paratrooper uh, on operations or training paratroopers as a sort of physical training instructor or, or even as a paramedic, you know, on the streets of London or wherever it might be. I think so those, those sort of austere environments, it certainly fits that mold. Um, but I also think there's flexibility there. So when coaching that ability to sustain ourselves under pressure, a concept, you know, I think most people, if they think about it, can relate to that. So, so for me, that kind of fits as a definition. Mm -hmm. So sustaining ourselves under pressure <clears throat> and then thinking about obviously employee well-being being the world I operate in as well as like my own life. So I'm interested in this on a, a number of levels. But um, if we think about how that relates and the types of pressure that people might experience in their working lives, all of this obviously in the context of the pandemic, I'm wondering, I'm wondering how, that, how, how can we relate this directly to someone who's been sitting at home working at a desk for the last six months, wondering about when they'll be going back to the office and maybe feeling a little bit anxious about that? Um, it, it's, it's a really challenging time. I think everyone's having to take a good look at what's going on in their own life as opposed to the, not as opposed to, as well as the bigger world, um, the bigger picture. And I think we're all, we're all being asked to be resilient and build resilience and we're being put under pressure. Um, so, so it's a time where, obviously that's why you're asking me, but um, it's, a, it's a time where it's a key component to life really. And I think the way that um, I, I would frame it in terms of well-being and employment and thinking about your kind of work situation and trying to fold into that your mental well-being because obviously the two go hand in hand, especially in the context that you're describing. Um, I think each of us needs to understand how we're perceiving pressure. Um, and I, I would break down that statement that I made, because I think there's lots of different ways to look at it, as I said, but I would break down that statement into, into kind of three components. Um, so previously, I, I, did a, I did a clip um, that I think you shared, Chris, um, and we talked about the three components of resilience as have been studied as a, as a, as a sort of very big uh, study group in the States, I think. But, but that, that statement about the ability to sustain ourselves under pressure, so if we break that down um, and start at the end, if you like, so pressure, we need to define what that means um, and how it's changed for us and how it might change in the future. Um, then how are we sustaining ourselves? So that's really about the longer term view and what we're actually up to. And then the first bit is the ability, which is around skills and tools, which I think is what you're really asking me about. So what are the skills and tools required um, to sustain ourselves, to, to be resilient? That goes back into this massive cohort study uh, where they talk about the three components of resilience um, and they have slightly different definitions to the one I used. But, um, uh, you know, for me, I, I like to simplify things. It must be the, the uh, former paratrooper in me. But um, so, so health is a key component to resilience, number one. 
uh, a positive mindset, positive outlet. So that's the the kind of emotional piece. Uh, that's the way I, I try and think about that. Um, and the third is is the focus on long term uh, relationships, really, whether that be a relationship with yourself, your employer, the people you work with, the people you serve in your role. Um, so that's kind of how I break it down. I don't know if I've given you anything tangible there, but that's that's kind of a very uh, abridged version of, of resilience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's really useful. And um, <clears throat> I think it helps to start at the high level and then probably drill down into the practical stuff. Because I suppose one thing I quite often see is in the the desire to get to the the quick practical stuff to go and do something, we quite often skip out the understanding, which means that maybe in like, two or four weeks, we potentially chose the wrong thing to try and implement and ultimately don't stick to it type thing. So I think if we, if we unpack the, the relation, well, we've got three things there, haven't we? And I, I know health came at the beginning, which is potentially the one that most people probably think they understand, probably think they have a good grip on when it comes to like movement, nutrition, and mindset. But mm-hmm. if you were to unpack that first one, when it comes to health in the context of sustaining ourselves under pressure, what um what kind of tools and tips come to mind there well we we can transpose the the term we're talking about resilience and we need physical resilience um in our health and well-being and i think you you know the 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 the, you know i'm always hesitant to talk about tools and and tactics (laughs) but I know that's what everyone wants, but, but it is different for every single person. And <laughs> you're laughing, um, but um, I, I think the the key component of the the physical resilience, if I use that terminology for the health section of it, so people can kind of relate what we're talking about, um, it's it's about that word that we we use all the time, but don't really understand energy. So you know we need to be turning up with a certain level of energy. And we need to be resilient against illness um, and, and we need to be physically robust. I think that's that's kind of how we'd encapsulate first component of health. Um, so on a basic level, what do we need to be doing? We need to be moving. We need to be uh, energizing ourselves um, through activity. And, and that is going to be different for everyone. Um, and another key component of that, I guess, is, is, is progressing as well. So seeking out new challenges, how are we going to kind of, because I think in order to be building resilience, which I guess is what we're going to get to, you need to be moving forward on a journey um, and you need, to be, you need to be building it. It's, it's that straightforward in my mind. Um, I don't know if I've answered your question. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I like the bit about energy and I like the bit about kind of being physically robust. And then that triggered a few thoughts on the immune system and things like that as well. But I like the, I like the notion that we're building towards something. And then that, that feels in itself quite positive. So I guess the second piece of your, your explanation before linked to that like, uh, mindset. And I was interested when you said about perception as well. So maybe if we unpack that that second part without a stringent need to get into practical tools and tips straight away. <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, I'm, I've mentioned a couple of times this, this, this big cohort thousands in the thousands 
that was done. I can't remember exactly when, but uh, and, and they looked at resilience specifically. But but they talked about positive outlook, positive mindset, and that's a very nebulous term. So again, we need to kind of boil that down and work out what that means. Um, it is going to be different for everyone, but we can we can unpack some key concepts. So how we perceive what's going on around us and how we choose. So that's a key component is choice. How we choose what we're thinking about, what we're focusing on is going to impact our mindset, impact our the way we're interacting with the things that are happening around us. Um, and, you know, being a... A, a, a kind of taking agency over our choices and our decisions is going to give us that positive mental outlook really um and i think that's that's key it, it sounds a little bit trite and uh simplistic but i and 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 everyone needs to kind of do their own digging and and it sometimes is you know i, I find myself you, you're never going to get a kind of absolute kind of like upward trajectory it's always going to be up and down this is our journey right but um positive just uh, finding a way finding the things to be positive about and building slowly forward i think is mm. kind of how we frame that so how do you if we skip a little bit to make this like really real i'm interested on how you do that personally because i and the reason i ask that i suppose is that not everyone has like led expeditions up Kilimanjaro and a lot of the time you get the question like can you really build resilience in in a couple of days or in a training session or over a few months isn't it more about having lived through tough experiences and gone and done stuff and I suppose like if I'm if I'm you I'm thinking well I've, I've done some pretty serious stuff and I'd imagine it maybe small things might be frustrating or if we're not taking care of that first bit about health then maybe we do need to remind ourselves to be resilient but I guess if if someone doesn't quite have all of those experiences maybe it's even more difficult and the criticism might be like is this for me like I just haven't had it that tough yet so now in this pandemic really really struggling um so I, I guess yeah I, I elaborated maybe a bit too much and waffled on but yeah I'm just interested in you personally like how do you stay no I don't think you waffled and it's a good it's a good question and it's one I think about actually because you know, when I'm coaching people, coaching guys, I'm always in the context of what, well, you know, I can do it. So, you know, maybe they're going to look at me as a, either a role model and therefore start modeling the behavior. But there's also a chance that they're going to take that and as a, well, he can do it, but I can't and, and create a divide between that. And I think that's what you're talking about. Um, and it, it is easy, uh, I would say, if you do have those experiences to draw on those experiences of hardship um and that that's what we know that um, uh, but there is always an opportunity to be building your resilience and i think it's very easy to kind of fall into the trap of finding um finding someone who's done something completely different that to you seems like crazy and think, well, that's okay for them. They've built resilience because they've done X, Y, and Z. Um, but actually on examination of your own life, there will be things there that you can draw resilience from. And that's, I guess that's a, that's a tool. 
Um, that's a strategy that people can employ. So, you know, whether they look at someone like me or, or someone on the telly or whoever it might be is, and think, oh, you know, they've done that, therefore they've got the resilience that they require or it's different for them. Um, and that's an easy thing to do. And, you know, we're all going to get caught there at certain times. But if you examine your own life, I, I know for sure everyone will be able to draw on those experiences because we, we've all had hardships. Um, we've all got a story to tell. You know, it might not be perceived as, as sort of as glamorous or as, as kind of like a, a punctuated with these things like, you know, leading people up a mountain or, or, or whatever you know, in the context of, of myself or, or whatever it might be. But everyone has got that. And I think if we think about it as a choice, then we, we've created two narratives there. What the narrative of, oh, it's okay for you. You've, you've, you've done this, you've done that. You've tested your resilience. You've built it up over these extreme experiences. That's a narrative. Or we can choose to say, well, that's not the narrative I'm going to use. I'm going to use a narrative where I'm actually going to look into my past and, uh, and look at key components of that key pieces of my history that I can draw resilience from and I think if anyone is thinking that oh it's okay for you kind of mentality um and that's not to be critical because we all, we all kind of do it to a certain level um if they just sit down and think about those experiences and and what they've gone through I think most people will be really amazed at what they can draw out of that as a, as a strategy to build psychological resi resi resilience <laughs> <laughs> nice I like that a lot actually because I know and it comes from the perspective of someone who's worked with a lot of people one-to-one -one as well and seen things as a paramedic too so I think taking the time to reflect is quite often something we talk about and I definitely try and do it without necessarily always doing it but I feel definitely stronger after having reflected because usually it ends up in a positive place even if it starts with feeling a bit groggy today didn't sleep so well last night it usually concludes with a note about like okay let's go type thing yeah. um not always but sometimes um and i think you know if just then i had a thought it's it's interesting because we, we all have the same loops that we get caught in and that voice in our head that said oh I can't do it. Um, I don't want to do it. I don't feel like it. I'll put it off or, or, or I'm not sure how to manage these challenges, this pressure, you know. And the difference, I guess, is someone who's built up resilience, they, they can have that tape playing, but then their experience will then kick in and think, well, hang on, no, that's not the story. I know what I've done X, Y, and Z. Therefore, I'm just going to move through that. Um, and even, I think, just thinking about it like that, I think will help people to con contextualize what, what I'm talking about if, if they're struggling to. But, but um, because I think everyone has, everyone's built kind of the same. It's how quickly we can move through these things that's important. What does... Two questions, and you can take whichever one you find a little bit easier to grapple with first. What, what does resilience look like, and what does resilience feel like? 
not picking easy questions for me. <laughs> um, I, I think I think it can look like a lot of different things, um, and and I see this uh, in my clinical practice, whether I'm coaching, you know, whatever, whatever the scenario, there will be examples of someone displaying resilience um but i think we we i'm going to get the word wrong but we we grandiose the terminology sometimes and therefore we put it on a bit of a plateau and it seems unachievable and i guess the whole point of what i'm saying is actually people are doing this on a daily basis whether it it, it be dealing with a death of a family member that's going to build resilience you know uh, helping a friend who's having some mental health problems um because that's obviously going to be a key component of what we're talking about in the context of 2020 you know i think one in four is going to be impacted so it's those sort of experiences that i think people need to be drawing on and actually creating that positive outlook and direction um, so what does it look like? Back to your question. Um, it looks like someone who's able to see it as it is, not worse than it is, um, and draw uh, that positive uh, component of the situation. Mm, I like that. What about, <clears throat> feel like we'll have a bit more time, but when you were talking, it reminded me that the third aspect the resilience that we're going to explore is about that long-term perspective and relationship. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested if we could just unpack that a little bit. Yeah. The, the other thing I wanted to unpack a little bit is the pressure bit, because I think people miss the mark, but I'll come to that. Um, so, so, you know, perspective is, is what creates our reality. Okay. What we focus on, what we're drawn to, that's what we hit. Um, and we, we, you know, the, the analogy always comes into my mind. I'm not sure why, but is, is you know, you're going too fast to a corner um, as a as a driver, you, and the more you look at the corner, the more you're going to be drawn towards that bend. What you need to be doing is be to focus on where you want to be going. Otherwise, you're just going to get drawn in, and that's that's a good example to me of of perspective your perspective narrows or you can all you can think about is the thing you're going to hit that's guarantee you're going to hit it if you open up your perspective then options become available and you're managed to avoid these obstacles challenges however you want to see them um so for me that perspective component is is vital um and being able to see things how they are not sugarcoat them but also not see things worse than they are. And mm. I would, I would um, hazard a, a kind of a, a guess that people who are struggling with the things that we're talking about in terms of resilience, spending a lot of time at home, the social isolation are, you know, focusing on those key components that are creating and maybe a negative spiral. And that's the loop that they're stuck in. And we see this in mental health all the time as well. Um, it's, you know, depression is, I think, defined or a definition is the inability to see past your own problems and the, the total focus on yourself. 
and that narrative. And that creates a downward spiral. It doesn't matter who you are, you're going to be subject to that. So um, I think the, the key component is to be able to lift up your perspective and create a longer term view because that's going to create opportunity. Um, that's going to keep you out of the this in this moment. I don't like what's going on around me. So it's going to allow you to move through that. And that's what we talked about a few minutes ago is, is, is that ability to kind of pass through and, and break through the, the components that aren't really working at the moment. Mm. So it's looking out into the future and just, I suppose, naturally that means <clears throat> the immediate problem that's front of your mind just kind of dissipates a little bit and you see it in the context of bigger, more important stuff rather than going around in circles on it. Is that kind of, that's an, an interpretation of what, what you just explained? I think so. Yeah. yeah. What about pressure? You mentioned. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I talked about that uh, very broad definition, the ability to sustain ourselves under pressure uh, as a definition for resilience. Um, obviously, everyone's going to take that and to apply it to the situation they've got in front of them. Um, and the pressure that we've created largely in, in, in the context of what's going on at the moment is external and perceived. Um, so we've got this isolation, which is creating more pressure, the lack of communication between teams, uh, colleagues, because we're not in the same room all the time. And that, that potentially can, uh, has got the potential, sorry, to, to create that pressure. Um, but again, we need to be breaking that down, okay, and, and looking at what the source is of the pressure. So it's not good enough to, just to say, I don't think I'm under pressure or I'm feeling the pressure. You need to dive into the why. Uh, what is the pressure? You know, why is that impacting me so badly and trying to break that down a little bit, I think it is again, absolutely vital. Um, mm. And we're talking at a high level now, and I know you're trying to put it in the context of, of kind of employee wellbeing. Um, but I think the, the kind of the, the leadership component of the guys that you are talking to will be able to transpose what we're talking about uh, directly mm. in that, in that sort of, leadership role because so i get that's what we're talking about isn't it yeah you, that's what i wondered definitely and it, and it wondered to as well the idea that a lot of leaders will probably have thrived off of pressure to an extent <clears throat> whilst actually indirectly running into potential burnout territory as well and like you get yeah. in that kind of high performer bracket and you you get promoted quickly etc and then you before you know it you're looking after a team and that's a kind of different pressure, I suppose, because you're looking after other people as well as yourself. So I wonder if that comment triggered anything. Yeah, and I, I am one of those people. So I work best under pressure, uh, but you need to be very mindful, especially if you're in a leadership role, to, to, about taking on too much pressure um, and not get caught in uh, something that I see a lot of junior leaders getting caught in, and that's trying to do effectively two jobs. One is the job of their subordinates and lead their subordinates. Um, and that's not good leadership. Um, so where possible, 
And this is the challenge of junior leaders, I think, is, is to develop the leadership beyond feeling like you have to do everything and have to be on top of everything. Because if we look at good leaders, they don't do that. Yeah, that we talk about disseminated command in the military, and that's allowing people the scope to do what they need to do and trusting them. Um, that, that's a key component. Uh, and it, but you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's so easy to get caught up and just feel like the pressure is piling, 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 piling on. Um, and I think if I reflect on my own situation, you know, when that has happened, it's, I've not, you know, I've not allowed my calendar to be leading my own health and well-being. So I haven't allowed breaks. Um, I haven't looked forward, planned and thought, OK, this is getting crazy. I need to put some stop gaps in here, some mechanisms, some meetings with maybe my superiors or my peer group who can support me. Um, even if it's just emotional support, or just a conversation, having that that kind of firebreaker mm. is a common term for the moment. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, so I think that's a, that's another very good point. And and I, I obviously I'm passionate about talking about resilience, as you can see, um, health. But leadership again is a key component, I think. And uh, you know, sad to say, my interactions with the NHS is is. They've got some amazing staff in there, a lot of amazing staff, but the leadership component is sometimes missing. And you see that all the time where people are just so caught in the detail uh, and, and they're effectively doing that without realising, which is trying to do their subordinates job mm. and their own job and leading. So it's like you're managing, you're micromanaging and you're trying to be a leader. You need to, pick one <laughs> and go for that yeah it's quite um there might not be a question after this but just some words but it reminded me of quite a lot of conversations we've had with with junior leaders or even just leaders that and the quote that it's not a well-being issue but it is affecting their well-being and a lot of the time i think it comes down to like management style and and workload and things like that but then it ends up affecting that health bit so if that's the yeah. first of the three areas you're immediately kind of getting rid of one foundation. And then you also reminded me of this analogy about um, putting weights on a, on a glass table. And like at some point, the, the, the table's strong, but if you put too many weights on it, sooner or later, it's going to break. And no question, <laughs> just, some, well, just some words. I mean, this is a discussion, mate. So I don't, <laughs> I mean, I'd like to flip that round and say, yeah. what's your view on that <clears throat> statement then? This isn't about a well-being. Mm. What, what do you say? It's a well. It's a well. Not a well-being issue, but it's about their well-being. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm always, I'm quite biased in that. I similar to you. If I was going to list three things that sat at the heart of success in many dimensions, I'd probably say health is the first one, <laughs> just because that's the way my brain works. But then, then do I always live it? And I, I like to think most of the time I do just because I enjoy health and well-being and exercise and eating reasonable food and I'm in good habits. But I definitely try and put too many weights on the table sometimes. And, um, and I think similar to you, big believer in planning, but a lot of the time I don't always stick to the plan because I'm pursuing like that, that extra weight. And I think 
thankfully because we're in the business of health and well-being like almost it, it would be crazy to push it too far because you need to practice what you preach to an extent but I think for a lot of other people where it's not the case that their job involves helping others feel healthy then it's not quite so hypocritical and you can almost self-justify it a little bit and I know for a fact like I've spoken people I've spoken to the last couple of weeks I've spoken to one person who's working to 1am I've spoken with like HR leaders that for I know for a fact we're working like over 15 hours like pretty consistently and um I guess to to circle back a little bit to your question I think it's all just quite messy isn't it it's all quite messy there's no black and white it's just quite gray and I think there's not really a start point and a finish point for for where well-being fits it's just that the general consensus it should fit somewhere but actually amidst everything else that has to go in the timetable it's often squeezed out um and I think maybe it takes conversations like uh, I do I do think there is value in podcasts and conversations and workshops thankfully because it's quite important that I think that because it's sometimes it's just a reminder sometimes you just need to a reminder and a few practical thoughts to say oh yeah I do need to get my massage or put something in the diary and then get an accountability buddy to make yeah. sure I'm in there. so loads of questions are popping into my mind um I want to so uh, you know, let's start a high level. I have a role within the NHS um, that demands health, effectively. And you could argue, I'm in healthcare, I need to be healthy. But if we did a cohort study of, of any NHS trust mm-hmm. in the UK, I think the percentage of the workforce that we'd as professionals, fitness professional, health professionals, we'd consider healthy would be poor, you know, what anyone's ratings. And I think we probably, lots of us listening to this have experienced going into a hospital and the staff there don't look that particularly healthy. Um, so even though it's healthcare, I don't think the staff are particularly healthy. Um, what it, what does, an organization that actually is getting this right look like what are they doing what are the sort of conversations that the execs are having mm. what's the culture yeah good question culture was the word that came to my mind by the way we talk a lot about um the pyramid if you want to look if you want to look at it that way when we're talking to clients or prospects then a lot of people talk about getting really high engagement in well-being activities and I think that's a good indicator if you're getting lots of people turn up to health and well-being related sessions then that's a pretty good indicator that you're doing something right so what does good engagement look like I mean we did we did a session for one company and it was a small company of about 50 but they had over 40 people on the first workshop so 80% engagement rate like that's incredible Um, and then obviously bigger companies you're looking at different groups of people so they may or may not be interested in certain topics but long way of saying I think engagement just comes up a lot of the time. And I think if that's an indicator of culture, a culture of well-being looks like a place where people feel comfortable talking about well-being, physical and mental. People feel comfortable attending things. People feel like there's boundaries in place. They feel connected to their colleagues, all these types of things. They also feel motivated to turn up each day, but also live their life outside of it. Um, And then conversations that we have with leadership where that's the case It's interesting because a lot of the time we're talking to companies where that's nearly the case or they want it to be the case 
rather than it already is. Hence, wanting to talk about uh, sessions in if it can do. So if I, if I think about individuals that we've spoken to in the last month, it looks like someone who understands the problem has voluntarily asked people in his team or her team to look at it. And then when presented with a solution to that problem, says, yeah, let's go ahead. I'm going to tell everyone I'm joining. I'm going to get all the managers to tell their teams that they should join this. And I'm potentially going to even share my own personal story. I think from a leadership perspective, that's what good looks like. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you can always say that, that, well, that's what good looks like, whether it's happening now, whether it happened 12 months ago, whether it happens in 12 months time. Um, and then I think good leadership means that you follow up on that and it's sustained because your point about culture, I think that only happens over time. You can yeah. shift the dial a little bit. You can definitely move the needle, but culture is quite a, quite a long-term journey, isn't it? But what, what do you think about that? Because I'm interested in your perspective. From... Yeah, I, I mean, I think what you're saying is bang on. You're the guy with the experience in, in the corporate space, I think. And, and I agree with everything you're saying. It's interesting because I'm always thinking back to this NHS example, and I think, you know, it can be viewed as a fantastic organisation. We do have some of the world-class healthcare in certain aspects, but then you look at the workforce and you think, how well are they? (laughs) Um, So culture, obviously, is absolutely key um, and getting that leadership buy-in because I think it's easy for, to, as a leader and I've never been in this exec role but to probably to pay it lip service and I think that's what I see a lot of and that's really frustrating and I know, you know you share this frustration is is that I think it's what we described a little bit there as well is that kind of like oh it's all right we, you know we've got a lead we've got a well-being representative in that team end of story <laughs> and and that's not you know you're not touching the culture you're not creating a community of well-being. You're not encouraging things. Um, yeah, hard. <laughs> so if we were, um, yeah, I don't know where we are now, actually, but I think we've kind of gone through the different like aspects of resilience, and we've definitely shared some like practical stuff in there. And mm. it's quite interesting <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. So, what are some of the activities then that are good? organization does for their staff like on basic levels yeah it's a obviously good use your services but. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well wait, the thing is we've obviously had to understand the whole landscape as well so rather than just think back from oh we do workshops and fitness classes how can we uh, help people understand that that's really valuable mm-hmm. like actually you have to understand what else is on offer and what your sessions can work alongside. So you can look at private medical insurance as a baseline, dental healthcare, flu vaccinations, eye tests, health screening, all this depending on the size of the company, obviously. And then you can get in, so maybe you've got some sort of, uh, not essentials, but more conventional areas and aspects of well-being. Um, you might have an employee assistance program more on the mental health side, which is available for people to call, which typically employees are unaware of or, or really gets underutilized. Mm-hmm. And then if I think about companies that are really getting it right and it's a cultural, it's part of a culture, it's a bit more proactive. So I think you, on one level you can have services available for people to go into 
and you can promote them. But actually, if you want to be proactive about it, it's about having a calendar of workshops, of sessions, of apps that might help. And particularly, like one of the big sentences that we often hear is like, okay, well, this year we really want something for everyone. Like it needs to be inclusive. And obviously that's quite a hard thing to do. So it, it does require like a full understanding of all the baseline stuff as well as what interests your employees. So in the last three months or three or six months, I've probably seen about eight or nine pulse surveys. So questionnaires that go out to employees asking, how are you doing? What are you interested in? Like uh, loads of different questions. Um, and then I think great looks like actually addressing those rather than just asking questions. Like one of the biggest mistakes we see is companies asking loads of questions and then just sitting on the information. It's like, it's the biggest waste of time. And it's dangerous as well, because by asking the question, you're kind of raising the idea that you're going to answer it. So if you don't, people question, what was the point in that? Why did you waste my time type thing? Yeah. So, you can't play the ignorance card if you do, if you've collected the data, haven't you? You need to do something about it. Yeah, exactly. So that inclusion's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, so really. how does that break down? Because as you were saying, what you were saying just then, I think I was thinking, you know, are good organisations canvassing every single member of staff? And I think requirement's probably the wrong word, but having some way to actually engage with every person and saying, right, what is your well-being, well, well-being need? Um, it's been a long day, so <laughs> um, because without I'm trying to think it through, but without without doing that, how can you you know really offer? Because you know that inclusion piece, you're always going to feel someone's always going to feel. Well, oh, I don't want to put my hand up because you know Chris is really good at pull ups and it's a pull up competition, and I've can't do one. I mean that's yeah. extreme. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know, I know exactly what you mean, and I think it's important. So things that come to mind well there's a couple of things come to mind one is more like personal trainer psychology angle on it and then the second is more corporate practical experience of it so the first is that even if someone doesn't want to do the pull-up competition like at some subconscious level you might have sparked an idea about getting to that point in the future or going for a walk because it's in the realm of health and fitness so whenever I was not frustrated, but whenever in the past I thought I'm not really sure that landed or they weren't quite ready in that change curve, then I I did take a positive from it in the sense that on, on some level, if you've gone in with the right intentions, that person's probably come away further along than they were before. Um, And then the second piece around practical experience of it, there's a couple of case studies that come to mind. One's like a big media company and we literally like profiled their employees along three areas. So one was engaged and interested. One was disengaged, but interested. And then the other one was disengaged, disinterested. So that, that second group was kind of the focus because uh, you, you want to make sure everyone's got access to benefits and well-being, but that middle group was realistically the one that they wanted to tailor the messaging to make sure that they really got in front of. Um, and then the other example is a media company that, that said, yeah, we're going to measure attendance at these things, but we're also going to measure signups. So even though not all of these people were attending and like 80% of people might have said we're going to attend, but didn't, that still says, okay, I'm interested in this topic. 
So if you host more of these things, if I can, I'll probably will join at mm-hmm. some point. So I think it's, it's in a lot of ways, the, the frustration at the start of Innerfit was you think health and well-being so so essential and you know that this topic on frontline lessons or diet tips for the festive season is like so good and it's really, really good content. But when you get attendance like lower than you expect, it's quite, it was quite like you take it quite personally because you care about what you're doing. But actually that's okay because in the to your point i suppose about perspective it's about seeing like the bigger picture and knowing that if you can impact a few lives in that 45 minute session then that's kind of success as well it's just you always want it to be as big as possible don't you of course it yeah but you, you're never going to hit it all which i think is to the point of capturing the data and finding a way to actually understand what the requirements are of everyone in your team obviously mm. a smaller team is going to be easier and I'm sure it's easier to impact culture when you've got a smaller team, and you've got a motivated team, you know, you've got an interesting workforce. But um, uh, it's, I think, for me, it's, you know, that I, I, this is why I think the group coaching model can actually fit in really well if done properly. Because mm-hmm. I think that there's opportunities to actually, I think there's, it's difficult too, but to what you're saying there, segregate the staff into groups of, of levels of engagement. And I saw this work quite effectively, or it has worked quite effectively in, in a group coaching around, um, uh, in, from a clinical perspective, people that have uh, similar conditions um, talking to each other and being coached around how to make lifestyle changes to impact their long-term chronic health. Mm. condition um and I, I think that model can probably transpose quite well to what we're talking about here which is where you understand the level of engagement and then kind of group people and then go through a session always easier in person but i think virtually the virtual and we have had some success in doing that virtually uh, get people together and as opposed to a formal presentation it's a bit more of a smaller group where everyone is expected to engage and share um mm. i think with some skilled facilitation and coaching there's some some models that can effectively break down some of the barriers and it's really interesting to me how quickly people engage when they have got someone next to them in person or virtually um that actually is having a similar struggle mm. and i've seen that it's it, it's hard to think about because when I first heard about this group coaching concept, which is a while ago now, I thought, how does it work? Like, you know, coaching to me is like one-on-one and you have to sit down with them and really go through things. But I've only seen it work really well when it's done well. And it's a very powerful concept because you're with a peer group. So you, you've got that community mm-hmm. and that cohesion and, and well facilitates, creates that cohesion and therefore people are actually share their woes, share their concerns, share their barriers. And it creates that sort of, I don't want to use the word therapeutic, but it creates an environment where people are able to get things off their chest and move through them. Mm. How do you do that? then? what, what does that look like group coaching wise in a, <clears throat> let's, let's say we're talking about resilience and we want to take a group coaching style approach to it what, what kind of questions would you ask and then what kind of response would that generate um so i think prep work is key you've got to understand 
what they're coming to the table wanting or needing. Um, and you've got to talk at that point, basically, to get that engagement and get them to the session. Um, and then you also really need to understand what the challenge are and the barriers are that have held them back in the past. Now, part of that can be done as prep, but mm. largely speaking, that's going to get done in the room. Um, so small group, build trust by helping everyone to understand that they're in a similar position, uh, inviting people to share, uh, which will then hopefully invite other people to share. We get that sharing experiences, that natural human connection. Um, and then once everyone's kind of talked through things, we kind of realize, and it's a very human process, which is why I like it. Uh, hard to measure. <laughs> uh, metrics don't really exist for it, but it can work really, really well. And we break down these barriers and then we get to a point where it can actually say, okay, right, what next? And then a skill facilitator or a coach can jump in and say, right, let's create a strategy. Let's be accountable. Let's understand where we are, agree and move forward and move through it and, and uh, uh, put down these choices, excuses, challenges, barriers that we've carried with us. Um, yeah, it, it, I think it can be likened to this uh, therapeutic model where we kind of understand what's happened <laughs> and then are able to let it go. Mm. Um, I'm not suggesting this is therapy or, or anything like that. <laughs> not a medical. Because yeah. when, you're, when you're talking through what does group coaching look like, I hadn't necessarily thought of our workshops as group coaching. It's more like an interactive session with conversation as part of it. But actually, like, we do ask questions like, uh, what's been working well for you? Or what, what could you improve? Or what challenges do you typically encounter? So I suppose it's taking like a coaching style approach, they've always been our most effective ones as well. And I think people don't yeah. really need, yeah, you know? I think you're doing a lot of it from the sessions that I've attended. The yeah. fact that you create that interactiveness, um, it's, it's often quite a large cohort, which I think makes it a bit more challenging. Um, but hey, Tony Robbins doing this with 20,000 people, do you know what I mean? So. <laughs> <laughs> but um no i think the smaller groups is is really effective um i, I work with a another coach on his program uh, it was about career progression and, and leaving roles that were very dissatisfying to you this is a sort of quite a high level sort of c-level exec suite um and sort of either completely switching fire to your passion project or whatever is really driving you forward and what you've loved to do that you've left behind for 20 30 years because you've been doing this other role or uh, understanding what your next position should be and looks like and why that is important to you and breaking that down um and we did that in, in a group coaching environment and actually was really a good and really effective the, the benefit being that they did have it was a small group and they did have grow work Mm. Uh, so not homework, grow work that they had to go away and do. And then so that gave us the understanding of what they were bringing to the table. Um, and then in a group of sort of six to eight, we were able to go around and uh, discuss the different bits. And whenever I've done it as a coachy, mentee, whatever it's called, it's amazing to hear other people going through a similar process 
Mm. I think that's that's a powerful thing. I feel like it could be one of the most powerful things in the world or also one of those workshops where you sit there and you haven't really done the prep work and you just think last minute, I'm going to share this little bit of info, but I haven't really thought it through and it's maybe not the most truthful. So I suppose not, not that it's a lie, but just that it's not like that next level of truth, which I think comes with actual reflection and, and self discovery type thing without getting too philosophical about it but what you described sounded just like really powerful and I think something that maybe comes with experience and a willingness to explore further I think if I without without being ageist I could imagine that being a really really powerful conversation for for people in their 30s 40s 50s maybe mm. 20s, like wondering where to, well, actually I'm talking out loud. I don't know if that's right. I actually don't know if that's right. Yeah. I think it's an assumption. It's probably quite easy to make and therefore shouldn't be made. <laughs> um, but it's, it's an interesting way to think about things. And certainly from my perspective, I couldn't really see how it was working until I both went through the process as a, someone wanting to learn and grow and be part of something uh, and then as a coach um, I think probably took both those processes for me to really understand and buy into it um, but the, the the work I've done with NHS England to develop the group coaching model has kind of helped me understand what sort of framework would look like and then the clinical settings to that which obviously reinforces it and I think you know moving forward you know coaching is, is an exploding business because it works people talking about the challenges they're having and being coached through those challenges to to create a new future you know is is a very powerful process sounds a bit glitzy bit american for us bit salesy but you know it's it's about the doing and it's about getting people taking action and i think the big challenge and one of the things i'm always talking about is this intellectual knowledge and we've all read lots of books and we can sit there and be lectured for hundreds of hours, whether it be at work or at home in our own time or, or just for entertainment. But then transposing that into implementation and action is the challenge. And I think that's the difference, really. I couldn't agree more, to be honest with you. I'm interested in a couple of things. One, like the coaching piece, because I know you obviously learn every time you do an episode and you have a coach and you're always like consuming new content yourself but then you're obviously doing it as well so I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm interested firstly in like why you yourself are, are seeking out more information and, and a coach as well in terms of like practicing what you preach as well as delivering it yourself and, and then and then how do you go and implement it and and make stuff happen in the gap between when no one's looking or no one else is really paying attention that is that is the golden question <laughs> those three parts how do I, how do how does one kind of seek out the information that is golden and valuable as opposed to everything else there's so much noise in the space isn't there um then work out how you're going to go away and implement it and then deliver it as a, as a almost service really i think yeah it's, there's there's no simple answer to that um so for me personally, I think, so Simon Sinek talks about finding your why, finding your passion. 
and understanding um, what makes you tick, really. Um, and it, it's, that's no easy task. Well. <laughs> For me, it's being a supporting team player. Um, if I look back, and, you know, this is a relatively new re- revelation, even though everything aligns with it, funnily enough, um, whether it be playing rugby in, my, in the early days um, or other sports, um, you know, being a member of the parachute regiment, I never sought out those leadership posts. I was wanted to be one of the brotherhood, a supporting player. Um, that's why I went into clinical practice, I think, as well, um, to sort of be that safety net for society. Um, and then coaching, for sure, it's about being, you know, that person that, that, can, that can help. Um, and help people to move forward. I think that's a key component is that forward looking vision. Um, so it's, it, it, that, that's, that frames it for me. Um, and then <laughs> how do I seek out the information? If you're driven by a passion and able to kind of fuel that fire, with something that's interesting to you and you are constantly reinforcing the narrative that this is of interest to me, this is what I want to do, this is, this is kind of like my calling, then reading information isn't a problem. It's about how you kind of focus in on the bits that are really going to impact your clients or the service that you want to deliver. I don't think I've got that 100% figured out. <laughs> I think the, the key to it is uh, being succinct. So learning a, something and then trying to implement it very, very quickly. Um, mm. I'm not suggesting I necessarily do that, but I think that that is what I'm working towards, you yeah. know, and it, even so much. So like, you know, I've probably re- I've read, read 10 books on coaching and implemented 10% of one of the books a, a better approach for sure would be to be pick a book that's been recommended, read it, go and implement 10 things from that one book, mm. whatever it's about. And, uh, you know, that if someone had given me that piece of advice 20 years ago, I think <laughs> that well, would it's, it's interesting. It's quite nice to hear you say that as well. Cause I, I feel like I potentially did get that piece of advice about two years ago, year and a half ago. Luckily, but it's because I was, I was pursuing loads more information and I was like really kindly offered time from a guy called Lee Forster who founded a company called Neat Nutrition and he was like former GB swimmer, like medalist, oh. I think. And uh, yeah, in one of the coffees that we had, I quoted like five books just about, oh, this reminds me of this thing that I read. And it was just like, mate, you talk about, you've talked about, you literally said this like really directly. You've quoted four books at me since we started talking, like four different books, like do you think it would be better to do stuff now? And like that, said it pretty straight up. And then after that, I did start doing a bit more. But I think that, but then I suppose even this morning, I was thinking about, okay, so we've done a lot in the last three, six months, still very much guilty of like overanalyzing things and thinking, but then you want to get new ideas. Like you want to think about, okay, so the next ceiling, I haven't even really thought about where we're going to get to in at the end of the year in a little while. And, and then how do you get inspired and get new ideas? And I'm with you on the start with why stuff. That was, that was pretty integral to me wanting to set up the business a while ago and watching that talk. But it's, the, it's then like keeping going. And I think, yeah, I don't often really question it because I think I do enjoy what I do. 
and it's not really a question of like, feeling demotivated luckily like but but it just it does become habit and then I think it's potentially unhealthy to not question it sometimes it's definitely worth thinking am, am I enjoying this is this where I want to be going is this what I want to be doing each week and I think if, if I think about that out loud like I've not nailed that at the moment either not a million miles off like I met up with a mate yesterday who works at a bank and he was like oh man you're so lucky you know what you want to do you're in the right ball game and I'm not just not really sure and he's been doing finance for 10 years paid like tons and I think people do forget that sometimes if you're doing something a little bit different you definitely make other sacrifices I think <clears throat> to get set yeah. up but it is with the and it's always grass is always greener so that mm. and sometimes hearing that is really irritating because you're like well hang on <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I've got to deal with do you yeah. know what I mean yeah. I've, got pay, I've got to make payroll yeah. for my guys yeah. and then find some money for myself or you know one month the other month it might go really well so then I'm looking at marketing and, and everyone's got their own context haven't they their own little view of the world and and that's i don't people say that sort of thing i don't find it that helpful mm. um i don't know you maybe don't mind it <laughs> <laughs> no i think well it's because it, you hear it quite a lot as well actually so you do get a bit used to it so i suppose you can flip it on its head it, i think a larger part of it depends on how i've slept if i've slept really well i think oh thanks yeah i'm pretty yeah. i've not slept well i'll be like come on <laughs> yeah but we're, we're, you're always going to get those peaks and troughs in life, I think. Yeah. Um, it's how you handle them, really, and, and what you're able to focus on, like we were talking about, that perspective piece. Um, but there, there's always a chance you're going to get unhinged at some point and really think, oh, I'm not sure this is right, this is going in the right direction. And that's when I think you need to be building it in gaps, which I know you do. Um, where you can do deep work. We talked about that before, haven't we? Um, and also just take stock and not even just, I think take stock is almost too formulaic uh, or too structured because what we really want is a break, right? Mm. And just to rest. And, and that's a key component that I know a lot of your guys, clients, customers, etc. they, you know, that rest concept and taking time off especially when we talk about junior leaders let's get my words at all <laughs> junior leaders um is it is completely forgotten um and, and that's a good question actually I'd, I'd be interested to see if you if you kind of hit this angle at all but you know this concept of burnout even when people tell you that they're doing what they want to do and, and those things you know, they're in the job of their dreams or they love being a leader. They love, you know, managing a team or the project's really exciting. Yet you can see that they're still struggling um, and their well-being is being affected. It's an interesting one because I think I'll just answer it in the context of like me, which is maybe not people might benefit from hearing about, I suppose. But I think it's just really difficult. Like I've definitely, definitely struggled with that this year. I think I've had six days, six days holiday so far, which kind of mm -hmm. just happened. Like we did, had, had big, didn't work for 20 days in December of last year. Didn't have any holiday therefore until March because I didn't really feel like I needed any. Then you're in a pandemic and then it's like, well, what's the point? <laughs> mm -hmm. So I think, uh, to be honest with you, the honest answer would be like, I've kind of been in that through phases. And the reason today that I'm thinking about six months ahead and a year ahead is because I had a leadership coaching call at lunchtime with my leadership coach 
So <laughs> it's like, thankfully, I've got the structure in place. And I was like brave enough to say, right, yeah, I'm going to commit to the next year of leadership coaching and like paid for it and et cetera. So I think putting that plan in place almost made sure that I had to take up, like ha- had to take a bit of space to breathe, I suppose. But I've definitely had people say like, take a day off. Uh, we've been pushing pretty hard recently, relax. And it's because you do, you do enjoy it, I suppose. But yeah, rest is like, a, it's an interesting concept. I've, but then re- rest can be different things to different people. Like I hate sitting still doing nothing. So rest for me yesterday was going out on a 70k bike ride. <laughs> and then going out and eating a lot of food so I, I guess i don't know it's, it's an intro i'm definitely working through that one at the moment as well yeah on paper i 100 get it and i do i think practice practice what i preach most of the time but i, I think that's the whole point isn't it 80 mm. 20 70 30 sometimes <laughs> i don't know what, what do you think because i suppose as a parent as well <clears throat> interested to see how that shifted your perspectives on on everything and if you if you manage i think you were getting a decent amount of sleep when you all things considered Mm. Yeah, <laughs> a flexible term that is when you've got a small yeah, one, good good maybe yeah. infant toddler whatever you want to call him now but um, yeah it, you know it's good days and bad days like we all have we're all human and you know, at a certain level we're all the same and we all share these this we all sh- we are all sharing this human condition there's no two ways about that and remembering that kind of helps in itself um but how do i deal with it <laughs> i think i'm a big believer in challenging yourself and for me seeking nature um movement strong relationships working on my relationships not just meeting up and chatting shit actually working hard on my relationships um is nourishing to me and the fourth component of that is actually resting and nourishing myself well it's all nourishing myself really but 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 the rest component is a, is a massive factor and i think you've got to check in with yourself and if you think you're kind of under pressure under stress burning out you've got to find a way to take rest and like you said that's going to mean different things to different people and it's important to know what that means for you Um, and and don't fall into the trap of i'm just going to lay around and watch netflix for a day or stay up late watching telly because for me that feels like rest um, I think there are a lot of false profits in that space. Um, so, you know, maybe encourage people to look at us as examples. You went on a long bike ride and then went out for some, a meal, hopefully connected with some friends. Uh, for me, actually, it's about kind of getting up early, throwing myself in the sea or going for a nice run, you know, being out in nature and then giving myself that kind of like low grade challenge to deal with, whether it be the cold for a couple of minutes or, uh, you know, I don't know, 30 minute run or something like that. Um, but that's my version. Morning. Do you get in the sea every day? I try to. Yeah. When I get time, it's not every day. Impressive. Impressive. Um, so, you know, I think rest and recovery is a massive factor. And I know that 
a lot of people talk about meditation now, a lot of people talking about sleep and kind of hacking your sleep and to sleep well, which I think is really important and measuring those as metrics. Uh, um, but just ch- taking stock generally and, and working out how you can get that headspace, feel healthier. Yeah. <laughs> nice. actually uh, you know i thought a nice way to bring this back to resilience actually because it, it, when we talked about you talked about the bike ride i was talking about challenges as a way to kind of recover mm. um but you, you don't get resilience without challenge so if anyone is watching this because they like the word resilience you can't escape the fact that you need to challenge yourself to build that resilience yeah it's 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 a counterweight system. So you've got to pull on both. So that's why culturally we look at people who have been to the extremes as very resilient because they've challenged themselves to the nth degree. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah. And that's, what's that? I think it's like, I was listening to um, another podcast and uh, it, it, I think it was Chris Hoy was talking about if you know for the last four years or the last six months you've you've pushed it every single day with guidance from the the physios and the experts on when to rest and recover and when to push hard and when to take it easy and you know you've done the best you can every single training session then it's like going to an exam with all your revision under your belt you know you've done your best like Mm -hmm. you can kind of just relax on the day and enjoy it and I suppose like that that came to mind a little bit and also the, the fact that it's probably easier to challenge yourself and well, understand like you're challenging yourself when it comes to like a fit, fitness pursuit, something like that. Like book, lots of people booking in triathlons or runs and going for 5Ks and 10Ks and all these types of things. And then you reward yourself with like a big lunch or something. Yeah. Yesterday, like, I had three Kinder Bueno. <laughs> and it's like a nice reward. And, um, but I guess in the, in the context of life, maybe it's less obvious what the checkpoints are and things like that. And like the, the challenge is just like quite long compared to a one-off 10K. It's, do we don't, I, I, I definitely need to get better at like reward, rewarding myself for the mini milestones and probably even putting in the milestones in the first place, like that aren't just related to work, but are just related to life. And it's, it's kind of grapple with that, I suppose, as well is, is, um, like structure on the one hand because you want to have things to achieve and progress and you get a buzz out of that because I think most people are wired to enjoy growth but at the same time like just enjoy life do you know what I mean just relax a little bit a bit more like Winnie the Pooh bumble around and like pick up your honey and then that's yeah. great you know that's good advice figured that one out yeah don't well, don't, don't be afraid to find your own path as well and I think you know this disease to please this create or living up to expectations that assets you uh, is is a massive problem um what kills people is low-grade stress yeah that is what kills us we're not designed as animals to deal with low-grade stress over long term so in the context we're talking about we're talking about punctuating potentially this low-grade stress with high levels of stress for a very short period of time it's going to be disruptive you need to find patterns that will disrupt 
your life effectively. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to think about things differently, change your perspective, um, improve what's going on, seek out a challenge. You know, if you're not looking around and, and giving yourself that kind of excitement, can I do it? Can't I do it? You, you're always going to be stuck, I think, in this low-grade stress, which kills. Shit, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you've got me thinking you've really really got me thinking that's good what are you looking forward to at the moment you've got anything to look forward to um look probably sound like a bit of a dick but (laughs) going home every night for me is a joyous occasion um won't be tonight because my son will be asleep i'll still be joyous occasion because i get to go home and i've got my baby boy there and beautiful wife that i care for and i feel incredibly fortunate for that and you know ultimately i don't feel like i need much more than that you know and i think happiness and joy i mean this podcast is going to last for about eight hours i think at this this level so we have to draw a close at some point but for me like happiness is these kind of like i don't know driving in a ferrari for half an hour or something and joy is something that you generate and and can uh, permeate through every aspect of your life like this conversation is bringing a lot of joy to me because the human interaction i care for you you're my brother and we're talking about things that we're both passionate about so it's great for me i get to do things that i'm passionate about go home to a house full of joy and it literally is because a one-year-old baby boy that's full of energy a, a, a incredible mother that are just running around playing games and me coming into that environment is, is, is all you need really. So, you know, if you've got a family, you're very, very lucky and you're fortunate. And, and, you know, I think we we're probably getting back to that term of gratefulness and gratitude to, to the situation as it is. Um, and given the, the kind of forced winter that we're in at the moment in terms of this isolation um, not not seeing other humans, not interacting physically. Um, we've really got to dig deep and find out what brings us joy and how we can dwell on the things that are really worth dwelling on and forget about the things that are outside our control. And we know we're going to lead us down to a, a sort of negative way of looking at the situation. You're so wise. <laughs> I don't think I am, man. Maybe I'm just long in the tooth. Well, that's um, what. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what the monks would say, wouldn't it? He knows nothing, type thing. Don't ask me. I know nothing. Type. I, I think that was uh, some sort of funny sketch about how really wise people just realise they just know absolutely nothing, which I'm paraphrasing terribly. Um, but, which, which illustrates. Yeah, that. I mean, I, yeah, m- maybe you're right. I would never call myself wise. I know my wife wouldn't. Um, and if you came to my house and saw me getting chased by my one-year-old you probably wouldn't think i was that wise (laughs) the the point i guess is i thrive on human interaction and i get to do a lot of it now and the roles that i haven't enjoyed i haven't had that human interaction and i haven't been able to help people and impact people's lives. And it's, that sounds really corny now I'm saying it out loud, but, um, but you know, I think 
we, yeah, I, I'm getting too philosophical at this point. I think probably need to. I'm read. I read a book, and I've got back into the habit of doing it every morning called The Daily Stoic by nice. um, Ryan Holiday, and it's just like mm-hmm. a meditation from like Seneca or Marcus Aurelius or whoever, and then he interprets it with a modern modern twist. So yeah, if we're getting too philosophical, I think that part two can just be pure philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Uh, thank you very much to Chris Pinner at Innerfit for uh, giving me the questions there and, and kind of interacting and, and having a slightly different uh, format to, to the normal kind of Q&A, me getting, getting an expert on and, and chatting to them about their kind of field and their expertise. So it was really nice to record this episode with a great friend um, and to explore some some ideas um, and, and him to kind of question me for once. Uh, tables, tables flipped round. But anyway, thank you very much for listening in. Um, as always, your support um, is greatly appreciated and I just want to thank you and acknowledge you for, for being a, a, an active participant in, in growing this project and, and helping me to, to get my voice heard and, and get the messages that I think are absolutely vital in this day and age out to those that need to hear them. Um, if you want to hear more from Chris and you're interested in the corporate well-being propositions that he is amazing at delivering uh, and getting organizations to think differently about what healthy uh, what a healthy performing team looks like um, then go to innerfit.co.uk is his website i think it's just chris at innerfit.co.uk if you want to get in touch with him um, innerfit on instagram and the other socials i think it's quite big on linkedin as well I'm sure you can find him there. Uh, for myself, guys, if you want to hear more about my coaching, uh, all the things that I'm up to, you can uh, you can hit me up on Instagram. It's elemental underscore Nick. Same on Twitter, elemental underscore Nick. Um, and uh, just go to my website, elemental.co.co, elemental.co. Uh, let you know a bit about my um, online propositions, remote coaching and in-person stuff that I do and, and the corporate bits that I help Chris with as well. So uh, please stay in touch, get in touch. Let me know how you found the episode. Give us a review, give us a like. It means a lot to us. Thank you very much. See you on the next one.